In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. The children go to their children's church. The youth go to their church and the adults go to theirs. Well, um, Christian Service Brigade is at the bottom and crosses all of them. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Hey, I'm Jim Ramos, and I'm here with our producer and good friend, Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? I'm doing wonderful. Man, how are you liking this uh, summer weather in September for Oregon? I'm ready for rain. <laughs> I'm ready for my mule deer hunt tomorrow morning. How about that? Mm, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> hey, I got to tell you, I'm really excited about our guest today, uh, Scott Hyma. We actually served together on the NCMM, which stands for National Coalition of Ministries of Men, Board of Directors, and he's a massive contributor to the team and really, really am growing to love and respect this guy a lot. And, uh, well, I, I actually just quoted Emerson Egrick's book, <laughs> anyway, I really, really appreciate this guy. I asked him to come on our show and uh, looking forward to hearing what he has to say. But before we do, hey, guys, why don't you head on over to our website, menonarena.org. Top right hand corner of the website is a button. If you click on that, you can have full access to one of my latest electronic books or uh, coming soon will be our best version of you assessment where we rank you according to five categories and 20 subcategories, and you can see where you're strong, where you're weak. This is going to be a life-changing, game-changing assessment, so that'll be live probably by the end of November, but uh, stay tuned for that, guys. Hey, Dale, before we get in here and bring Scott on, can you do you have a man word for us today? I do, and I'm not even going to let you worry about trying to guess because you're never going to do it. So, Oh, I bet it's uh, intergenerational. Oh, uh, Well, it's close. Um <laughs> So here's the word. It's reciprocal. And, uh, Ouch. yeah, <laughs> I'm not even close. I want to know where that came from. You pulled that out of the air. No, actually it was Google. Uh, my, my thought was like, Hey, what does intergenerational discipleship look like? What is another word for it? And it's this, uh, idea of reciprocal helping one another. And I was thinking about my life, I have teenagers I've poured into, I have college students poured into, but then I also have older people that I uh, surround myself with that call me in and to call me up and help sharpen me. And then I have my peers as well. And so I'm not just uh, like some folks where they just hang out with those who are exactly like them. Um, 
I don't think you're going to become your best version unless you do have this intergenerational reciprocal uh, discipleship going on. No, that's really good, man. And I think not only that, but your life is boring. It won't be complete. We need to have older guys speaking wisdom into our lives, and we need to have younger guys speaking passion into our lives. And we need to be doing the same for others. And if we think that we can just hang out with our little clique and our crew, uh, that's really wonderful. We want to remain average. But I think those guys that live as their best version really challenge themselves. You know, you mentioned it earlier. They get around guys that call them in to places they'd never go, call them up to places they've never been, and to call them out of places they need to be delivered from. And so I really appreciate that, man. That's really good stuff. Hey, do you have a hero story today for us or a review? Yeah, a friend of ours, Joseph, uh, he's our buddy now, uh, but he he wrote this, I'm taking time now to read, to learn how Jesus walked through his life and applying it in my everyday, uh, how I can. I am more involved, father, brother, son, and friend since I started enacting godly principles taught in the Bible and reiterated here. Great ministry and a meaningful message. When a man gets it, everyone wins, he says. So, Where's he, where's he from? Uh, Joseph, uh, his last name's Reno, so you can guess. From Reno, Nevada. <laughs> Jeez. I doubt it. <laughs> Joseph, so he, Oregon? He he uh, picked up one of our free resources and sent us this. And uh, so, Joseph, you're hearing this. Um, uh, reach out to me at meninthearena.org, dale at meninthearena.org, or info at meninthearena.org, and we want to hook you up with a free resource, buddy. Awesome. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for... Uh, sending us those great hero stories. Keep them coming, guys. Hey, I want to bring our guest on the show today, my friend Scott Heima. He's uh, 57 years old, lives in Hamburg, New York. Uh, Scott's life work has been intergenerational, masculine discipleship. He serves as the president of Christian Service Brigade Ministry, CSB, and he partners with local churches to see men of all ages take, take responsibility to lead, equip, and disciple each generation. His lifelong passion is intergenerational, gender-specific discipleship, and he brings 45 years of experience to the table with 27 years of military and business uh, experience as well in helping churches equip their men to serve in a masculine context of mentoring, discipling boys and young men. So I'm really excited to bring on my new friend, Scott Heima. How you doing, Scott? I am doing very good today, Jim and Dale. I'm really honored to be here with you. Well, I'm excited. You know, we serve on the NCMM board of directors together, but because of COVID, we haven't been able to actually shake hands and really interact. And so I am personally excited to hear part of your story, what makes you tick, and just to hear about CSB. I'm super excited about this. So, hey, why don't we jump in and I want you to take a few minutes, Scott, and share uh, your journey with us. You talk about three kind of distinct phases in your life. Uh, what are some things that our guys need to know about Scott Heima? Sure. I, you know, the passion that you laid out that I, I've had uh, through most of my life really was developed through my father. Um, I was actually a Cub Scout um, when I was in elementary school. I, was, I lived uh, in a suburb of Detroit, Michigan. And uh, I think it was maybe the second year that I was involved. And the leaders told me, if you are going to be involved, your father has to be in some sort of capacity. So when I told my father about this, he said, well, if I'm going to have to be involved, I think I would rather do something through our local church. And we went ah. to a small church in Trenton, Michigan. It was an Assemblies of God church. And he had heard about this organization called Royal Rangers. 
And so he had started that up at our local church and I just really thrived in it. Um, I loved having my dad as my leader. Uh, my brother was involved as well. And when I was about 13 years old, we moved to the Buffalo, New York area. And we still continued on with that. And I earned what is called the highest award, uh, kind of similar to Boy Scouts with the Eagle Scout. It's called the Gold Medal of Achievement. Wow. And so my, my father really helped establish that passion of um, what we describe as intergenerational masculine discipleship. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, right out of high school, I uh, was going to uh, the University of Buffalo for engineering. And about halfway through, I wasn't doing as well as I probably should have. Um, I took a semester off to take pause. And uh, my brother was a senior in high school at the time. And his lifelong passion was to be in the U.S. Air Force. And so uh, I, there was a phone call. It was back when we had home phones. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I answered the phone. And my brother was not home. And it, it was an Air Force recruiter. And he said, oh, by the way, who are you? And we had a really interesting discussion. You know, the, the timing was just right as I was taking the semester off from college and talked to my brother about it. And we decided to join the Air Force on, I think they called the buddy system. We were going to go through basic training together um, as far as we could go. And we had our physicals, uh, did all the paperwork. And then right at the last minute when we were, you know, going to sign on the dotted line, no um, point of no return. My brother backs out. Oh, whoa. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, he, he later became a youth pastor and evangelist and he will, he tells a story. Well, God had other plans and I wasn't too happy. You know, I'll be yeah. quite frank. You know, it wasn't, I wasn't mad at God. I was mad at my brother. And yeah. <laughs> so, um, I still, I still pursued it and went for, you know, uh, it's like, all right, let's, let's check this out. And, uh, I really enjoyed my time, especially in Alaska. I was up, I was in Alaska, oh. being an outdoors guy. I was up there for four years and uh, just had two of my sons. Uh, real quick aside, when we, when we moved back, I did get out. My sons came we were in elementary school. Hey, dad, can we have a copy of our birth certificate? Like, why do you need that? And like, nobody will believe us that we were born in Alaska. <laughs> it, uh, it, it really is a, 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 an awesome place. Put it on your bucket list to visit if you haven't. But uh, so I thought, you know, all right, uh, things are going well in the in the military and the Air Force. Um, but again, uh, when I, I, I got transferred to Richmond, Kentucky, um, we were in a radar bomb scoring unit and I was going to have to be away from my family upwards of three months at a time. And, oh, wow. Um, didn't really want to do that for that part of my career. So ended up getting out. And while I was in Alaska, I took some uh, accounting courses at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Um, I had a job in the Air Force where I afforded me to do that in the evenings. I aced every exam. I'm like, hmm, maybe this is something I should pursue. So um, I, I got into accounting and um, finished my degree up in that and had several positions, uh, most notably with the Buffalo Sabres professional hockey team. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I was hired as the project accountant for the construction of the arena they currently play in. And that was that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that job. I uh, uh, but then, you know, my life, you know, had a lot of turns and twists in that. And my parents 
uh, are still married, both 87, a uh, wonderful example of a, a, a godly Christian uh, couple. Uh, they made marriage look easy. They really, mm. I don't, I, my sisters and I talked about this later. I, we never saw them argue. I, I know wow. they did, but you know, I think sometimes they shielded and I'm not blaming them whatsoever, but they just made it look easy. And so yeah. many times I, I would take, you know, me as, uh, us as men would take things for granted. And, um, in 1999, my wife of uh, 15 years announced that she was leaving me and my four children. Oh gosh! And it uh, it devastated and rocked my world. I never thought, never saw it coming. Never, never thought that this would happen to me. And I, it it really brought me to my knees in ways that I've that I've never experienced before as a Christian man. I've always followed, um, you know, God and tried to live a Christ-like life. But, you know, again, if we're not intentional in certain aspects of, of our life, um, you know, Satan can blindside us such as this. And so, um, you know, I, I took a different job that didn't have as many hours and uh, started to get involved in um, a new church that I was attending um, and involved as a volunteer with my youngest son at the time in Christian Service Brigade. And one thing led to another with volunteering, and I was asked to serve on the board of directors of this organization. Well, my very first meeting, the president of the organization, our headquarters was in Chicago at the time, he was stepping down. And they then asked the president of the organization from Canada to serve a dual role. And I blamed sitting right next to him in that meeting. And uh, he called me shortly after and said, hey, Scott, would you consider coming on staff with Christian Service Brigade? Well, our field staff are missionary models. They raise support. And, yeah. um, you know, it, I had a good paying job at an insurance company. And like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, this <laughs> big step here to take. And yeah. he wanted my, I think, and should I tell him no now or in, in a couple of days when he wants to hear my answer? But God led me on this pretty incredible journey, and I took two months, sought out a lot of counsel, and really felt that God was calling me to this full-time wow. ministry position. And it really came to the bottom line, if God's calling you to this, he's going to provide. And I've never felt more yeah. the rich in my life. My pocketbook, maybe not, but <laughs> I felt rich through, through the whole. And so all these twists and turns and paths of my life. I really honestly believe that uh, God has led me to this point now to really make an impact in men's lives, in boys' and young men's lives. You know, Rick Warren wrote the book, A, a Purpose-Driven Life, and, you know, he said, God has a purpose for each of us. And I so feel blessed to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm fulfilling God's purpose for my life during this time. Wow. Well, you know, and, and I went on to the Christian Service Brigade website, and I was really impressed with how large the staff was and how, how many volunteers you have. And how many full-time staff do you have in this organization? Uh, we have 16 full-time staff. We have about uh, 10 uh, uh, field staff um, across the country. And this is just on the U.S. side. And then we have uh, five of us here in the in the national office and uh, part-time. And, then the and what... What people don't realize who are in business 
the Christian nonprofit model, 16 is a massive sized organization. Uh, it really is a large organization where in business, it's just probably a smaller to average, but in, in ministry, that's a, that's a huge church. That's a, that's just a massive. And so well done, man. I'm excited about that. Hey, we're going to dig more into uh, CSB and uh, its mission and passion and how it can help men and how men can be helped by it. But I want to throw you into our rapid fire round first. Okay. So what I'm doing, Scott, is I've chose four things. I'm calling this the this versus that round. And these are all things that have uh, CSB as its context, uh, things that you're passionate about. So I want you just to explain uh, what these mean. All right. So here we go. Here's the first one. Boys versus men. Boys versus men. Well, a lot of it isn't really different in in many contexts because men can uh, definitely act uh, like boys. Um, Yeah. But mixing them together in in the context uh, of our ministry uh, creates great discipleship opportunities. Uh, Mm. There, you know, we basically kind of say that a, a boy, a man, and a Bible um, is a is the, a great way to disciple. Now, we know how boys like to learn and be discipled is through action, not just yeah. words and information. But uh, you add a Bible into the mix with those two, and you get some great discipleship. That's really good to hear because boys are a lot more kinesthetic than the girls and active. And if you're just going to sit a boy down, you're going to have problems. But if you get him engaged and active and doing different events and seeing different objects, that really is the way to go. So I'm really excited to hear that. So how about this? How about this one? Responsible versus apathetic. Responsible versus apathetic. Well, yeah, I've been doing this a long time, as you had alluded to my bio. And I, I I really see a lot more apathy from young men today. Yeah, um, it, it is it is a little bit diff, more difficult to disciple them in certain aspects because of their apathy. And as a leader, you need to get to know their name and call them by their name. You need to show up and be there for them um, in a, in a consistent basis. If if you're not there on a consistent basis, they're not going to respect you. And uh, you don't always need to have home runs with the activities that you're doing with them. Uh, you know, in a baseball context, a lot of games are won with singles. Yeah. And, you know, you can turn that apathy into responsibility um, over time. And you do that by putting them into some leadership positions. Um, our, our 12 to 18 year old um, portion of our ministry is uh, tagline is where leadership is learned. And so we uh, put the high school guys in charge of small groups and give them responsibility. And that apathy can really quickly turn into responsibility by doing, by giving them that. Well, wow, that's really good, Scott. I really appreciate what you said. You said show up and be there for them on a consistent basis. And that's really the well, difference. Call them by name. You know, and, get to know their name. Yeah, that's really powerful, Ben. I appreciate that. So, hey, the third one is, and I know you have a passion for this, gender-specific versus gender-neutral ministry. Oh, wow. You're going to um, really go there, aren't you? That is a <laughs> topic, you know, uh, you know, across the nation today. You know, the, I actually have led a seminar, you know, mentoring manhood in a gender neutral society. And we are coming up against um, those that really believe that gender is fluid. And that's a really... Um, 
easy one to, I believe, counter because it, it's, it is basic science. Uh, and the gender specific aspect where we take men and discipling boys and young men, John Eldridge in his book, Wild at Heart, really alludes to this well. He says, you know, while women in a boy's and a young man's life is very, very important, they cannot learn about the world of men through women. And so that's why our ministry for all 83 years of it has been gender specific. It's men discipling boys and yeah. young men. Do you find uh, with the with all of the stuff going on with Boy Scouts that uh, CSB has come under attack at all? Are people pushing hard to make that a more gender neutral ministry? Well, there, there's that adage that, you know, any publicity is good publicity. True. We have not uh, had that, uh, fortunately, um, maybe because we haven't yet um, really promoted ourselves through social media um, as hard as we, we desire and other aspects of it. We typically, uh, because of our 83 year experience, much of our local church aspect is through alumni, men who grew up in our ministry. Oh, wow. Okay. We hear so much from men that grew up in it. And it, uh, when they think back to their time in brigade, they don't necessarily always think of the activities that they did. While those are important, they always remember the men and their name the men who invested in their lives. And so they want to in turn do that. It's like our theme verse for, you know, most of our um, existence has been second Timothy two, two. And it, and it, it says like what you have heard from me. And Paul is saying this to Timothy amongst many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will then be able to um, teach others. Also in that short verse, there's four generations of passing it on. And that is exactly what we want to do. We want to multiply to the kingdom, not add to it. Wow, I'd never thought of that four generations. Hmm. I appreciate that. Wow, that's good. Well, speaking of generations, my last uh, this or that, this, this versus that rapid fire round uh, phrase is intergenerational versus multi-generational. That's a good question. There's uh, there's a lot of similarities between those two. And I, I really like what Dale said in the beginning yeah. about the reciprocal, because I think the intergenerational aspect of it is a transfer between. So um, what we what we do is we'll take, um, let's say, 20, 30, 40 year old men and mentor and disciple boys and young men. Now, uh, mostly the men who come out as volunteers in the local church are dads and their sons are in, in, in the program. And I highly encourage them to stay involved even when their sons are not. And part of my own personal story, when my youngest son was um, six years old, I got involved. There were five other men that got involved around the same time as I did. We all gave permission to speak into each other's lives or each, our son's lives. And that's the awesome intergenerational aspect. Robert Lewis in his book, Raising a Modern Day Night, calls it a community of men. And these men were able to pour into my son's life. Well, now they're, our sons are in college, married, moved on beyond. We're, most of us are still involved. And now it's our turn to mentor the 20, 30, 40 somethings as, as they're becoming leaders and young dads. It, it in turn, our turn to mentor them. The multi-generation, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, that. 
No, no, I think that's really good. I, when I think of multi-generational, I think of silos. You know, the, the kids come to church, they go to Sunday school, they go to youth church, and they never really interact with the adult population until they're, let's say, late high school, college. But intergenerational Correct. is this blending of, of the generations. And yeah, that's going to make for, let's say, a smaller church. But I think in a lot of ways, a lot more effective. Perfect. That's exactly. We have an infographic like that where there, a, a family car will go to church and the children go to their children's church. The youth go to their church and the adults go to theirs. Well, um, Christian Service Brigade is at the bottom and crosses all of them. You know, and you, you're exactly yes. right. That silo method versus, you know, ac- across the board. Which is why Christian Service Brigade is so effective. It's able to bridge the gaps up and down. That's why you keep having ministries repeat themselves because these guys who are now alumni want to reach back into the younger generations and give back. And so, so here's my question, Scott. What's the process for, let's say, a church or a dude? Let's say I'm a dude listening to this podcast. I love the outdoors. Maybe I had a good experience as a young kid and Cub Scouts or Boy Scouts. And I go, man, this is, or Royal Rangers. And I say, hey, this looks, sounds like a really cool thing. How do I bring this to my church? How do I get this started? Well, you, you can go to guy? our website, uh, csbministries.org, and in the contact page and um, say, I'm interested in this at my local church. And then we will put you in touch with one of our field staff and they can walk you through the entire process. Um, many times it uh, it takes several men um, to commit to say, I, I want to be a part of this. Um, that is the hardest thing to do in the context of a local church is to get a group of men together to want to invest and um, mentor and disciple the next generation. Boys will come out there. You know, it's not hard to get the boys. Uh, it, it's much more difficult to get the men. So when you've got a, a group of men to do this together, we can walk you through that process. It, it's quite simple. Um, it... So how are you guys distinct? In other words, if you come to a, a local church, what does your program look like? What happens there? We do have, um, we encourage them to have meetings on a weekly basis. Um, in most contexts, we are the full-blown midweek programming for boys and young men. And uh, each of them has a structure. And uh, again, we have field staff to provide training. And uh, as I alluded to earlier, we know how boys like to learn. So all of our resources have some sort of a project uh, attached to it. But everything that we do has discipleship in, uh, in, interwoven into it. And so there's always some sort of a spiritual truth or application to it. Let's say for our 12 to 18 year olds, we're going to talk about small engines. We'll bring in lawnmowers or, you know, um, other small engines, let them take it apart, find out what a carburetor does, the fuel intake. All the while, we're going to teach them about unity in Christ, that we all have a part, that if, if one of us is not, um, you know, uh, doing our role, uh, whether in the context of our local church or our family, um, that unity can be broken. So we, we, we talk about unity in Christ through small engines. And even game time can have a lot of teachable moments. Guys, um, you know, the, the masculinity with, you know, is under attack in several contexts of our, of our nation. And there's a game that uh, the young men like to play called American Eagle. Have you ever heard of that, Jim? I'm pretty sure I played that game as a youth pastor. Do you line everybody up on one side of the room 
and they run across and one guy tries to tackle that one guy, then there's two guys. Yes. Well, we play it where you try to pick them up. <laughs> so if any part of your body is still on the ground, there's a lot of squirming. Sometimes there's tears, you know, and you no, know, but you want to know who wants, asks for it first the next time? Those huh. young men that had the tears and that, that may have gotten, oh. because it, it brings out, it brings out the God given testosterone in us. And you know, that, you know, women have awesome social contexts, you know, but men do the, the exact same thing, but through, you know, that roughhousing. And uh, too many times in our culture today, they are equating um, what we're doing with it in this context as violence. And, it, and it's not. It is really a form of nurturing. Well, it's <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm pretty sure I had a kid go to the hospital because of that game as a youth pastor. Yes. And again, these kids, this is you said something real powerful, Scott, and I'm laughing because it's so true. What some people consider violence, guys consider fellowship. Absolutely. You know, it's like it's like a, I mean, my son, Darby, and I remember we were at 6000 feet elevation in a snowstorm. He had the flu and we're laying in our tent and he said, Dad tell me about your hunting stories. And I started telling him and he goes, dad, all of those sound horrible and miserable. And I go, yeah, but that's why they're awesome. And, and, and so we had an awesome experience being miserable. And so it bonded us. And we just got back from an elk hunt two weeks ago. And it was a, it was a hundred miles during seven days of hiking. And it was super painful and what a tremendous bonding experience. And so this is, this is where we need our women to realize that they need to release their young men into the hands of other men and let let them get violent yeah. or aggressive and let them learn and grow. This is how this is how men become men and establish. So 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 do you think the helicopter mom Scott has has come out of this context where women can educate the boys and we don't need a man? Yes, absolutely. I I totally agree and uh it I've had uh talk to many moms who bring their uh boys and young men to my own local group and in the right context and talking to them personally, they start to understand and get it, especially if there's not a dad in the home. You know, it's unfortunate that one in three uh, children in America today are, are growing up without a biological father in the home. Yeah. It's tragic. It is. And, and, and some, you know, homes do have a father there, but they're still disengaged. Correct. Uh, what we what we provide in the context of a local church is not a replacement for what the parents are supposed to do. You know, you read through Deuteronomy 6 and many other uh, um, passages in the Bible, it is the parents and ultimately the father's responsibility to mentor and disciple his sons. What we do is we want to come alongside what the parents are doing, enhance them. And in many cases, dad comes to us at first to say, I want to do this. I just don't know where to start. Help me start. Um, but we don't ever want to become a replacement for that. You know, you made a powerful statement, Scott. <clears throat> One out of three kids today grows up with a father in the home. And I'm just curious, you know, how many of those kids actually have an engaged father? You know, I, I had a situation where I saw somebody recently and I was like, well, there's five siblings. And I said, where, where, where are you guys? I never, 
see you guys. And the one of the siblings said, oh, we, we're in the house playing video games and watching TV. Mm. And I, I thought, you know, um, that's tragic for a boy because a boy needs aggression. A boy needs to, uh, I, I hate to use the word violent because I think that's a, a wrong word, but they need to be aggressive. They need to sweat. They need to get bruised up. They need to wrestle. They need to grow and understand and understand camaraderie. And if I if they don't, there's um you talked about being gender neutral and I didn't maybe the correct phrase was gender neutered. <laughs> you know, they grow up not understanding what it means to be a man because we live in a society that's so soft with technology. You know, you talk about uh in our in the questions you sent back, how do you how do you address this dilemma, this tension between technology and physical assertiveness because that those two are tenuous how do you deal with that in doing some research on uh the electronics and the video games you know we, we talked earlier about the testosterone and the sense of adventure well the guy we're, as men were born with that and we yeah we seek that out and why are video games so popular is because they have found this sense of adventure that young men and I'm I'm not sure. Do you do you know the average age of a gamer now? Oh gosh, thirty. Uh, a gamer. Well, I, I don't know what a gamer is. I would say thirties. It, it is. It's it's thirty five years old, and you know that's that's not a, a good thing because they end up playing all night long. And what do they want to do? They want to get to the next level, and you know they, they have all these challenges within it, and as men, we love challenges and we, how do we, um, get them out of that environment into, into a, a better one. And, you know, we want to use technology, but use it in, uh, you know, in, in a more purposeful way and intentional. We, uh, have books that we have for achievement for young men and many of them, where's your book? Oh, I forgot it but they got their, they have their phone in their pocket. They'll never forget that. And so, you know, there's a fine line that we we're, we're drawing at this point in our ministry. And, and I think, you know, COVID has really um, moved our timelines up to be able to yeah. meet the men where they are today. We had, um, we call it an LTM. That's for our um, older age group, a leadership team meeting. And, and I, talked about the small groups and we have the high school guys in charge. Well, we use something called the band app for communication. And one of the young men said, I really don't like this. Then, you know, like, well, what do you want to use? Um, they wanted to use Discord, which is a, a gaming server and a gaming platform. Well, our, our uh, battalion head leader, he said, well, I, I heard of this thing and my uh, company uses Slack. And so I said, all right, I, I've never heard of it, but what is it for? And he says, oh, it's a business application. And I says, all right. Uh, so I was challenging the, the adult who typically uses Slack. He says, well, adults in business context. And like, say, there you have it. These young guys aren't going to use it. We need to meet them where they are. Yep. While Discord may not be our first preference and choice, we need to go to where they are because they're going to be there anyway. And, yeah. and do it in a... Um, in a manner that is wholesome and good. And also that the parents feel comfortable with us um, communicating with them through methods like that. Well, you know, it's interesting, Scott, we don't promote this or we haven't put this out on social media or talk about this much, but uh, my wife and I recently invited a, a young uh, African-American man to, to our home. He's living at our house. He's a senior at a local university. He's uh, got some trauma in his life. 
uh, wonderful, wonderful young man. But it's really interesting. He plays Call of Duty with a group of guys, apparently, at night for hours. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went and sighted my deer rifle in about three days ago for this hunt I'm going on. And he's just so intrigued. Is that your spotting scope? What does that do? What does the binoculars do? What are the what is this? What's this over here? Well, that's an M1A1. It's not it's not for animals, you know. So I'm explaining all these guns and things. And he said, I've never shot a real gun. And and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm gonna give you a little break because you're brand new here, but you're gonna you're gonna feel the power behind a real life oh, gun nice. and realize how and realize how stupid Call of Duty is. I want to take this guy who has never shot a real gun. I want to take him shooting. I want to put a Weatherby 7mm Magnum in his hands and feel the power behind that weapon and to live his life experientially and not vicariously. And I think we've got a generation of young men living vicariously and not experientially, and that creates a grandiose mindset but a weak physical standard. And so I really appreciate what you do, Scott, because you're you're forcing these young men into a experiential uh, learning method. Yeah, even even one of our um, recent board members, he's 30 years old, and he, he's our treasurer. We had a uh, a board retreat out at one of our local camps. Uh, we we affiliate with 10 camps across uh, North America, and uh, during some board bonding time, like hey we've got a, um, a rifle range here. You guys want to, you know, shoot some, shoot some shotguns and maybe some trap. He never, not only did he not ever shoot a gun, he never even touched one and handled it. Here's the interesting wow. part. He went six for six. <laughs> it's not easy to hit those birds, you know, and the clay pigeons. And uh, he was just loving it. Uh, loving getting out there and, and shooting. So yeah, it, even we can even do it at, a, at uh, not just the young men, but uh, as we get a little bit older as well. Well, you can you can go play your little fantasy football league, but you line up against a group of thirty other dudes and play American Eagle, and that's going to be a whole other pucker factor. And so, <laughs> yeah. well, I, I real quick story. I, uh, I I'm becoming what's called a forty sixer. There's forty six peaks in the Adirondack Mountains near Lake Placid, New York, that are higher than four thousand feet in elevation. I know uh-huh. not in regards to the Rockies, but it's still a tough climb. Well, I was on this one that I wasn't in charge that day to, uh, um, you know, for the path that we were going to take. Well, the the leader that did, his son got hurt and he had to go back. So me and two other young men pressed on and I made a wrong turn. It, I, six miles. We, uh, we, uh, we got back at midnight. It was, uh, it was really, really, uh, an arduous hike. We ended up hiking, I think 20, 21 miles. Whoa. One of the young men, he said, you know what? That was a man making day. Yeah. You, Hey Scott, you need to come out to Oregon and we, every year we do a death ruck. So our last death ruck was 48 miles and 7,500 feet of gain on Oregon timber roads. I think you'd really love it. So love to have you come out and be a part of that. But, but that's the deal, right? It's, it's living life experientially not vicariously. And so that is so good, man. I So, you you know, your fervent prayer you wrote to us is to see godly men take responsibility to serve, lead, and disciple each generation. All of those are experiential. You can't live those vicariously. What does it look like when a man, a godly man, actually takes responsibility? Like what when, what, when, you, when you see a man starting to get it, what does that look like? What are the signs you're looking for? 
part of our vision statement, as you had mentioned, the end of it is each generation, not just the next. And I, I alluded to earlier that there were five other men that uh, I got involved in this ministry around the same time. I even know some context of other men in other churches where they haven't yet put their faith in Christ, but that doesn't mean that they, uh, we, we don't have them come out and help. Yes, we're not going to um, put them in charge of some maybe one-on-one -on -one discipleship time or uh, some spiritual matters, but they can come and bring their expertise and we, you know, I talked about small engines. Um, we have modules on woodworking and uh, hiking and fishing. As he started to come out and help with a lot of the experience that he's had, he saw other men being there, showing up, and then eventually he put his faith in Christ through that. We could have just said, no, you're not... Um, you haven't put your faith in Christ yet. You, you can't help. Uh, yeah. And we, you know, we, we can find a place for them and put them alongside us. And we want to mentor and disciple the men shoulder to shoulder as we are mentoring and discipling the boys and young men. And they, and they really start to get it, you know, with answering your question, when they can start to see, you know, that apathy versus responsibility in the boys and young men. Uh, Robert Lewis, again, I'm talking to, you know, go back to his uh, book, Raising a Modern Day Night. He calls it a code of conduct. And we've had a code of conduct in our ministry uh, for about 75 years, and we call them the seven points of valor. And, you know, uh, I've been in business realm uh, much of my career, and most of us know about SMART goals. Yeah, you know, and specific, measurable, attainable, and time sensitive. Right, and so the, oh, reachable, reachable. I right. forgot the R. And so you you know you think of this in the uh, context of discipleship or mentoring, and like, well, this isn't business. That we're we're talking spiritual lives and stuff. I I I do believe they can be measurable. Be what what are you going to measure it against? Of course, first and foremost, God's word. But yeah, seven points of valor. You know, honor, courage, chivalry, purity, loyalty, obedience, and dedication. When we start to see young men and boys exhibit point, you know, parts of these seven points of valor, we're no, we know we're doing an effective job, and that's how men can start to see it as well. Is when uh, what they're doing and the and the investment that they're making is really making a solid impact. Many times you don't see it right away. I've had a lot of cases where. I've been stopped or uh, gotten a note or a letter from somebody that I thought was a terror when I had him. And he's an adult man now and says, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for, you know, doing what you did for me and not letting up on me. No, that's really good, Scott. So you, you need to help me out here. I have the seven codes of conduct, but you called seven, them codes of courage. Seven points of valor. Seven points of valor. And I have honor, courage, chivalry, dedication. I'm missing three. Loyalty, uh, honor, courage, chivalry, chivalry. I can, I can say that word. <laughs> Loyal, purity, obedience, and dedication. It, are they sequential or does it, or does it matter? Well, uh, the way that we, we uh, it's not really a, a good acronym, but the way that most across the country remember this is HCC plod P O L D. 
HCC plod honor, courage, chivalry, loyalty, purity, dead. Which of the which of the seven is the biggest struggle today for young men? Oh boy, probably I, purity. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna say purity. Yes, uh, in fact, I um I I had a young man. I've had a hand in mentoring him throughout his whole. He started with us when he was in uh, six years old. He's now going to um, uh, college in the local area. And he just recently reached back out to me. Hey, can we get together for lunch often? You know, I, I, I need some, I need some mentoring and discipleship and we, we could get a little real with each other on that topic. Um, now that he's uh, 20 years old uh, and we do have leaders guides along the sexual integrity um, realm where, where we, where we specifically talk about this and the more real you can get with the young man about your own struggle. Um, I kind of joke around in a men's ministry context. If you're a man and you're breathing, you're going to be hit with this, you know, some yeah. sort of sexual temp- temptation along the sexual integrity. And so it, it, it doesn't matter what age you are. So Scott, you are a, a single man now. Correct. And you had said earlier in the podcast if you're not intentional in certain aspects of your life, Satan will blindside us. And yep. so in, in the context of your divorce, so now you're a single man, you're president of an organization that's powerful and effective. How do you, uh, how do you guard yourself in the realm of purity? I meet every Saturday morning with a, a group of men and you're only as good as you, uh, accountability is only as good as you're, uh, to be open. And, um, uh, I consider these men my brothers. I'm so very blessed. Most of these men, uh, there's there's 11 of us, I believe. Most of these men are those five men I talked about earlier. We're still all involved in each other's life. And by being open with them, if you've never read uh, the book Man in the Mirror by Patrick Morley, his last chapter on accountability is awesome. Some of the best stuff I've ever, ever read on accountability. And um, by having somebody else, even just one person, um, that you trust, that you can talk to uh, uh, on on this realm is uh, very, very critical for our lives. And uh, I'm, I'm blessed um, also to be a part of uh, a network of ministries through uh, men's conferences called Iron Sharpens Iron. Yep. I've gotten to know many other ministries um, that uh, can help men walk along. Steve Etner, the purity coach. Nick He's Lepardo. a good friend. Yeah, Nick Liberto with Proven Men, um, Dave Howe, we're going to have speak at a conference. He uh, he has a seminar, The Purity Battle, and uh, Sam Black from Covenant Eyes. Um, you know, if you don't have something on your devices for, for accountability, you need to get it. Um, so there's, there's a lot of great resources for us as men. But again, if we're not willing to share and be open, it's uh, none of that's really good anyway. Well, one of the things I like to say is a smartphone that is unprotected belongs to a dumb guy. And uh, you have to protect your devices. All of our employees, all of our board of directors, everyone is mandated to have covenant eyes uh, on their all of their devices and then have every home device protected uh, from that man. So password protected. Uh, We're just living a day and age. It's tough. So that's purity. So let's let's can I walk through these seven? Uh, the seven uh, codes of valor and just have you in one sentence explain what they mean to you. So the first one, I'll just do the HCC plod honor. What is honor to you? Honor. That is um, being a man of integrity. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, I love that. And that is in our five aspects or five essentials of manhood, the number one is uh, protecting integrity. So that's re- really, really powerful. How about courage? I think I know what this one is because I just wrote a book on it. Courage. Courage to me and uh, in, in bravery is not necessarily um, overcoming fear. It's, it's, it, it, uh, it's, putting yourself in, in the position that God wants you to, um, no matter what. It's, it's kind of like uh, where they say, um, jump off the cliff and build your parachute on the way down. That's courage. <laughs> yeah, I would say courage is a choice. It's choosing the right path. So, so now I think I know what this word means, but I, some of our younger guests may not. How would you define chivalry? Uh, yeah, this is an interesting one because um, – I think it was in the 1980s, they, uh, they changed this um, and, and switched it to a different one. And we realized that it, it's, it's still in a good context and, and brought it back. And so, um, you know, chivalry isn't about always just opening the door uh, for a woman, um, putting your coat down over a puddle, you know, the, the, those old things. But it, th- that is a big part of it, um, especially when you... Um, are a gender specific ministry, um, many could come attack as like, well, what about the women? And, you know, you hate women or you're, you know, like, no, we don't. We, you know, we treat them the way God instructs us to. And we do that through being chivalrous. Um, I hope that was a good. uh, Yeah. Well, I, I don't know in what sick world chivalrous is synonymous with misogyny. It's so ridiculous. I tell women, Hey, I open the door for a woman who is fully capable of opening the door for themselves because I want to give her honor. I, I realize she can open the door. I realize that she can do these things, but I realize she doesn't have to eat her meal first at a potluck, but we do that to honor. It has nothing to do, and it's not misogynistic. It's the, it's the antithesis of that, and I wish, I wish our ladies, our Western women would understand this. So, no, that's really good, man. So how about loyalty? I alluded to a couple different times where um, you're going to make an impact in somebody else's life by just showing up. And so, you know, providing the loyalty, you know, first and foremost to God uh, and then to the boys and the young men that you want to mentor and disciple and make an impact in. So by being a consistent voice in their life, you don't always have to, you know, you're not always going to say the right things, but if you're there in, in a loyal aspect, you're going to make impacts. I love the word consistency. That sounds, it's so much, it's a, really a boots on the ground word. Loyalty is a beautiful word, but it's almost pie in the sky. But when you put it next to consistency, now I can see what that looks like. We've tackled purity. How How is dedication then, which is your sixth well, is that your sixth or seventh word? How it's your seventh word. Let's go back. I'm sorry. Let's start over because I just got confused. Okay, so your sixth word is obedience. Uh, what, how would you define obedience? Obey God first and foremost. <laughs> you know, you know, we, you know, as I mentioned, uh, some aspects of discipleship: a boy, a man, and a Bible. And we want to we want to point point him to God, and it's not just about rule following. Um, you know, there's many there's different parts of our life that we need to obey God, whether it's through the Ten Commandments or uh, other contexts of the Bible or parts of it. But 
obedience is a big part of uh, what he says. And I, and uh, I'm not sure where this scripture is, but it's obedience is better than sacrifice. Yeah, no, that's really good. And I would, I would say obedience, I would say obedience in the context of Christianity, a synonym for that could be holiness, right? Uh, Living a life set apart because of the word of God. And the last, the last of your seven codes of valor are Am I saying that right, Scott? Codes of valor. I, I keep getting Point, confused. Seven points of valor. Yeah. Points of valor. I have, somehow I got codes of conduct and codes of valor screwed up. So let That's me start right. that over again, Dale. So the last of your seven points of valor is the word dedication. So how is dedication different than loyalty? That's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 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 while we've been chatting, I'm here at my computer and I've been I've been looking. I, I should probably have all of these memorized, but we have a, a graphic that has uh, at least one, maybe two scripture verses for each one of these points. But I would say that uh, dedication is probably very similar to loyalty. Uh, yeah, for, for me, when I look at it, I'm trying to understand, I would say loyalty is consistency, dedication is commitment. Like I'm in this for the long haul, I'm going to finish what I started, and consistency is I'm just going to sh- or loyalty is I'm just going to show up over and over and over and over again. So I see one as the end result. I'm committed to the end where loyalty is a uh, a process. So process versus crisis, you know, the end is greater than the journey. That's how I see it. I don't know if that's accurate. Yes. And we have we have some uh, we have a logo for it. And then as well as for each point, some icons. And the uh, the young man who developed this, he was he's still on staff with us. Uh, he's now at Moody Bible College. Um, the icon that he chose for loyalty is a heart, and the icon that he chose for dedication is um, uh, upwards praying hands. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm in a, in the context of if I was thinking my marriage, I would say dedication would be. Uh, maybe a tombstone and, <laughs> and and loyalty would be the wedding ring. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I don't want to sound doomsday with marriage. I'm like, it's just till death do you part. So I want to go back to something you said earlier. I had a question. So in Second Timothy two two, in the New International Version, which is not my favorite translation, it says, and that these things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men. New American Standard says faithful men who will also be qualified to teach others. New American Standard says who are able to teach others also. So earlier in the uh, interview, you said you talked about discipling each generation versus the next generation. Can you unpack that again? Yes. Uh, And I don't want to keep going back to the same um, story with the the five other men in my life, but that's, that's, I can't because they're they're intertwined. It's it's just a huge part of my life. Um, it, you know, I, I went through the divorce and uh, other aspects of my fathering that um, I wasn't as intentional as I I wish that I was. Um, you know, it, it, there's a whole lot of truth to the verse: "Fathers, do not exasperate your children." And um, so, as one of one of my friends lost his job for over a year. We came alongside them and, and helped them out. And, and I could go on about each of us, the, the story that we uh, helped each other. Uh, and that was in 1999. I mean, we're talking 21 years ago and we're still best of friends, brothers. 
Uh, and yeah, so to me, being involved, yes, it was great for my son and other men, but I can't imagine my my life without those men in it. And that is the part of the each that is extremely important to what we're what we do as a ministry and equip men. Yeah, that's really good, Scott. I really do appreciate that. So when you talk about smart goals with men, what what are some of the things you're hoping men achieve as they go through your process and your ministry? Intentionality is is really big, especially with their own sons. Uh, and as I mentioned with with my own sons, my my two oldest, very involved in the youth group at our church, went on a couple missions trips. Um, but when they got caught smoking pot, I thought ah, this would be the end of it. They, you know, I I caught they, they got caught. I talked to them about it. I related my own experience with my father. I never did anything like that. But if if I did do something stupid, which was a lot of things, I I, I would I turned it around. I had that kind of relationship with my dad, and I did I didn't fully dive into who their core friends were, and their core for friends were uh, from their public high school, and it it wasn't over. And so they um, continued on down a path, whereas um, naive and taking for granted me thought that they'd turn it around. And I wasn't as intentional as I should be. That woke me up a little bit and changed it around for my youngest two, my daughter and my youngest son. So I, I, I really want to encourage and challenge dads and men out there uh, and be intentional with what you're doing in that regard. And uh, it can it can translate into your marriage. Don't take that for granted, because uh, that's first and foremost. If you don't have that as as the cornerstone of your family, you're you're trying to be a father with at least one, maybe both hands tied behind your back. Uh, I, yeah, no, that's I that's I appreciate that. experience on that. And um, you know, uh, my oldest son is. Um, uh, it's a big spiritual battle for him. Um, and sometimes we don't know how to wage that war. And I love that scripture. I believe it's in Romans eight, where we just cry out to the Holy spirit with, and, and it's like, you pray on our behalf, you pray on the, our, our behalf of our family and our kids. And yeah, I think it's like verse 16. We cry out, Abba father, yes. you know, help me. So yeah, I, I can relate to that. Hey, one last question, man. You, you know, you talked about the situation, your kids getting caught smoking and, and different things. And I think when kids become teenagers, especially, and even into young adulthood, they often don't see eye to eye with their parents. If a dad were to come to you today and say, Hey, help me. My son and I aren't seeing eye to eye. What advice would you give them? I kind of alluded to that earlier, um, the, about the fathers don't exasperate, um, you don't always have to agree on everything. And, you know, there, there are certain battles um, that you should, you know, definitely um, take the hill for. <laughs> but others, others are yeah. not as important. I remember coming home from a long day. And if my boys were playing video games uh, and or watching TV and they cooked for themselves and but the kitchen was a mess. What was the first thing that I said to them? 
what? How come you didn't clean up? You know, like if they were if they were outside mowing the lawn or still working, you know, like I, I'd say, okay, okay, I'd let them. But that's not the first thing I should have said. You know, it's like, well, good for you for cooking for yourselves and taking care of yourself. All right, let's turn this off and get this clean and and not exasperate them. The first thing out of my mouth. I don't know if I was specifically showing them the love that I really did feel for them. Um, as an adult, they still even say, stop lecturing. And, you know, we, my, my sons are now 34 and 33 years old. We never stop parenting. We never stop being their dad. And, yeah, true. Um, we as men want to fix it right away. And it, it, it is still a process, even if, even into their twenties and thirties, but dad, don't ever give up. I'm not giving up on them. I never will. And it, it, it is a big spiritual battle uh, that we need to ask God to fight on our behalf, especially when we feel that we've exhausted everything. And I think sometimes our, our words can be too much. We just need to be there for them in, in context of what they need. Yeah, that's really good. You know, we had a guy on our podcast recently, Todd Wilson. He has a ministry called Family Man Ministries, and he had four points I thought were very powerful, and and you alluded to one of those. He said, first of all, don't give up on your kids. Second, you know, you are a homeschool dad, so I was a public school dad. You were a public school dad. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> we're teaching our kids in the home setting. And then number three is just say sure, which is if they come to you and they want to do stuff, just say sure. But the fourth one is the one that I thought you really hit on well with the, with the lawn mowing and the cooking illustration is smile yeah. at your kids. And, and I think sometimes we get so caught up in, I'm talking about the good dads out there in training our kids and disciplining our kids and coaching our kids. We just forget to smile and enjoy our kids and say, Hey man, I like you. Uh, I, I, you're a good, you're a good kid to be around. I really enjoy being around you. And so really appreciate that, Scott. And Hey Scott, I, I thank you so much for our time together. I really appreciate what you're doing and uh, your wisdom and your uh, honesty and vulnerability. And uh, guys, what are we going to do about this podcast? Let's get our boots on the ground and let's do something. And in our conversation with Scott, I thought this, I thought, you know what? Men in the arena, we are we, we, we are fired up and really passionate about you guys starting teams, uh, getting involved in Bible studies, and, and growing spiritually. But what I'm talking about here is something different. Scott brought it up. I thought it was very important. I want to challenge you to get involved in an accountability group of two to four other guys. And this is not a Bible study, uh, although you could combine it with one. This is just you getting together with a group of guys and being accountable for your lives and having a band of brothers uh, that you can lock your arms with. And so really want to challenge you to do that for this week. Scott, thanks so much for coming on our show today. I've been honored, Jim. I really, really enjoyed this time with you and Dale today. Thank you so much. Well, we sure appreciate you and what you do for uh, Christian Service Brigade. So Dale, you want to drive us home, baby? Yeah, guys, we want you to head on over to meninthearena.org and get your free book from us or check out the if the Bevoam is out, check that out. But uh, more than likely, it's a free book that, of Jim's. Uh, there's a link in the top right corner of our website, and each month we strive to bring you some sort of free resource to help you on your journey to becoming your best version. Until next time, fill the wet sand on the arena floor, hear the deafening roar of the crowd, taste the sweetness of victory, smell the stench of battle, 
get in the game, get dirty, grind it out, and be a man. Men in the arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's bathroom book for men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.